When practicing any type of self-development work, there comes a time when there's a need for reflection, a time to pause and check in with where we were and how far we've come to gauge whether or not our effort is yielding the desired results and whether any changes are needed. This is the space that we are in now and currently offering to others, as we are now inviting those who have been utilizing this philosophy in their lives to come on as a guest and share their personal journeys with us. The trials and the tribulations, the challenges and the championships that they have earned in the energetic realm of their own minds. And with us today in our third chair is Anna. Now, Anna has a really special story coming from a very traumatic event and to where she is now going against all of what the doctors and other professionals said she would be. She has a true miracle of a story. And I just want to take a moment to thank you all for being at our live Q&As and sharing the podcast. and just want to give a shout out there if you're listening now and you haven't liked us on Facebook, you haven't subscribed to us on YouTube, and if you haven't left a review for us on iTunes, please go and do that. It helps us so much in spreading this work to others. And now, let's journey with Anna. Alexander. Uncovering our authentic self through self-awareness, conscious communication, and emotional responsibility. On to our fourth installment of my personal journey. We are here with Anna. And I've briefly talked with Anna in the past about her amazing story over her last two years or so where she has had quite an adventure um, in the realm of her health and some amazing experiences. And I'm very uh, interested in hearing her story on her journey and how she's utilized this philosophy to come back from what she's had to go through. So Anna, thank you very much for being on the podcast with Alexander and I. And go ahead and introduce yourself. Alrighty, thank you for having me. My name is Anna Kristen Lara. I use she, her, hers pronouns. And I was born and raised in North Carolina all my life, but my family is originally from Ecuador. And um, right now I'm currently a PhD student at UNC Greensboro. And I have three parrots and a pet dog. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Anna, do you happen to know or do you want to share like your human design or destiny card information with us? Yes, I am a six of clubs. So I'm a Leo. I was born August 20th. And um, the six of clubs, once I got to get to know what it was about, and um, it was really 
enlightening, but also like nail right on the head. Like I knew everything the card was talking about and I had specific examples I could relate to that specific um, behavior or trait. So it was really interesting. And as a result of getting my birth card, I needed to see my husband's birth card as well. So my husband went on and got his birth card and it makes a lot of sense. And, and as well, Anna, uh, thank you once again for, for joining us. You being a Leo, you're just a, you're a double six of clubs. So that's why most people will mention two cards. Um, Anna only mentioned one, but she's a, a double six of clubs. So double yeah. whammy. Yes. And it, uh, could you go on and maybe uh, tell us a brief story about how you met Alexander? But I'm, I want to preface it because you may want to share your, your entire backstory before getting to that part. Yeah, so it all goes together. And it's impossible to make a long story short because every part of the story you kind of need to hear. So um, I'll start from the beginning, <laughs> the beginning of the long story anyways. So last year, I graduated with my Master of Education, and I hadn't seen my family in Ecuador in, in a while, ever since I'd been in college, so it was a long time, and I was getting ready to get married later in August, so I was like, well, this is a perfect time to go visit my family and go reconnect, and then... Um, you know, celebrate the excitement of my education and then, of course, of the wedding. So we went to Ecuador. We were supposed to be there for longer, but we ended up, our trip ended up getting cut short for my reason. But um, my family in Ecuador lives all over the country. I mean, it's a small country, so not really a big distance. But we have family in the mountains, in the coast, in the foothills. So we were all over the country. And essentially, um, it was the midpoint of our trip. We were in um, Quito, which is the capital of Ecuador. And we were actually in the, um, we wanted to take a trip, a hike more so, in the, um, in the Andes Mountains. And in Ecuador and South America, this is a regular thing. So this is not the first volcano I've been to. We were hiking a volcano. And it isn't going to be the last volcano I was hiking. But um, we went there with my cousin was driving. My mom was in the passenger seat. Uh, my sister ended up not going because she had a stomach ache. And I had uh, my mom's fiance and his son was sitting behind me. We were in, a, I guess, the best way to give you a visual. We were in a church van type of vehicle. Mm-hmm. So we had made it, we had hiked, we had seen everything, taken pictures. And to give you um, an idea, we were so high up in the mountains that the oxygen was actually very thin. Right. So throughout this hike, we were all like breathing really hard through our mouths. And at the end of the hike, there was a restaurant there and um. The volcano is called Kilotoa, so it's a volcano that has erupted into itself, so it's concave, and there's a lagoon. So when we got up to the top, I needed a drink, so I stopped, got lunch, had a glass of wine, and um, we went to the gift shop, and then 
We went back to the car, and of course, we're all tired, we're ready to go home. And on the way down, um, we were taking local roads, so we didn't take the tourist roads or anything because we're, you know, we're there, we're from there, so we just took the regular roads. And um, we think that the brakes froze because we were so high up. So my cousin was driving, and he's a professional chauffeur in Ecuador, so like he knows what he's doing. He tried to press the brake, wasn't working. Then, of course, the next thing was to pull the emergency brake. That didn't work. So then the only thing he thought to do was just to weave left and right to try to slow the van down. And so, and that's what he did. We ended up going off of the side of the cliff and crashed into the forest. Now it's a, it's a miracle. I mean, all of it is a miracle that we survived. I survived, but um, if we had gone 80 feet more to the left, we would have gone into the water. Wow. So it was a really big, um, big trajectory from where we went off the cliff to where we landed and we crashed. And when we crashed, I was ejected from the vehicle. So if you're imagining the church van, at some point in the crash, the church van, the door swung back and I flew out of the door. Wow. And in that, um, I fell off the earth. That's how I've summarized it because <laughs> I literally just fell off the earth. Mm. And uh, when I fell back to the earth, when gravity pulled me back, I, um, suffer, I sustained a traumatic brain injury. I broke a couple bones and um, was basically unconscious until I got back to the United States in mid-August. Wow. Yeah. So that's the, the background of how I finally got to get to know or come across Alexander. Um, in the recovery process, which I am in the process of writing down my story, so there's going to be a, a book, maybe a motion picture at some point. Beautiful, but, beautiful. Um, <laughs> Uh, when I got back and I got released from the hospital, I was never so desperate to get out of a place like I was the hospital. So when I finally got back home and I got my birds back because I had pet or friends pet sitting while I was in the hospital, um, I knew that there was a lot more to my recovery than just the physical recovery and like having the surgeries, like I had a hip surgery, I had the arm surgery. And I just knew that there was a lot more than physical recovery I needed to work on. I needed to focus on the emotional and the spiritual recovery as well, because there are, there are like maybe two months of my life that I just don't have. They're just not in my memory, not anywhere within reach. And I need to learn how to cope with being okay with the fact that I will never get those memories because I physiologically didn't have the time to make those memories. Right. Wow. Yes. So um, then in getting into the spiritual and emotional recovery, I um, knew of a friend, a coworker that went to the Wren's Nest, which is a yoga studio in Burlington. And I wanted to get involved in yoga because um, with, with my brain injury, I basically had to go through all the stages of development 
as I was coming back to consciousness. So I had to learn how to breathe by myself again. I had to learn how to eat by myself again, walk by myself again, talk. So I was like, yoga, if anyone needs yoga, I need yoga. Yes, yes, well said. So um, I went to the wren's nest and then I started to hear about the sound journey. And then I was like, well, that's very, sounds like something that I can do in this state of my recovery because I had just had a hip surgery. So I wasn't able, cleared medically to do all the yoga stuff. So then I went to a sound journey and it, it's all from there. Oh. Just on sound journey, I was hooked. Well, it's amazing that it's been a year and a half since your accident. Is that correct? Yep. And you're doing so amazing. Yeah. Having to relearn how to like starting how to breathe by yourself again. You know, it is amazing. Um, What level would you say that you are back to, you know, compared to what you were previously? Well, it's, it's hard to say, and I'm trying not to, compare myself to the pre-accident me because the pre-accident me was all kinds of crazy. I was doing a full-time job, full-time graduate program, doing entirely too many things at once. Ah. So I don't think it's a, a good reference point because I was doing a lot, but also I was doing nothing at the same time. Well said, well said. So, so, you know, the, you've just seemed to have such a great attitude and have taken the time to learn so much as you introduce those other levels of the, the emotional level and the spiritual, you know, as, as then we get introduced into the energetic and the mental as well to bring that to all five of those levels and, and to hear someone speak so intelligently and um, openly, uh, vulnerably about, you know, even as much of your story you've shared so far is just uh, very uplifting and, and I'm very, very much of an appreciation. So thank you. And you mentioned that you are the double uh, six of clubs. I know that to be like the highly intuitive card. Yes. Yes. One of the so most is, intuitive. is that maybe what played into you knowing and sensing that there was more to your recovery than just your, you know, repairing the, the physical um, I'm not, well, cause most people wouldn't think that, you know, most people would just right. be like, you know, if I'm out of the hospital, then it's just that, that slowly physical recovery. Yeah. Um, I think for me, it was the thing that really set it off for me is I realized while I was in the hospital that I was experiencing a sense of grieving. I was grieving myself, which it was very strange because I was talking to my physical therapist, my occupational therapist, all the doctors, and I was trying to put language to what I was experiencing, and no one could really put language to it because um, all they could really tell me was just repeat all the injuries, the laundry list, the CVS receipt of injuries that I had. Mm-hmm. And um, so once I started to really lean into knowing that or, or leaning into my intuition that there's more to this than just the physical, I started to ask more questions, honestly. Right. Just I had more and more questions every day. 
Well, I think that certainly did more than likely play a role in that because uh, as Aaron was saying, it's not, it's not typical for, um, for just anyone to want that, those deeper answers and, and to be part of that, you know, that quest. And this is where we kind of get into a little bit of uh, how energy attracts energy. And, and there's that saying of uh, when the student is ready, the teacher appears, there's many different ways of saying it, but many times it just, Similarly, it sounds like you set an intention and I want to know more about the the deeper levels of this healing and uh, life kind of led you in some of those directions to find some of those answers. Anna, do you see this event in your life as maybe a wake-up call or some type of event where the universe was getting your attention to you know possibly teach you something? Yeah, so I've been really trying to think about the way I want to put what I'm about to say. So last year I almost died. Mm -hmm. That's a short way to put it. But at the same time, it's that near death experience that gave me back my life. Yes. Well said. So, and it's really um, interesting because that's the best way I can consolidate it very concisely. Mm-hmm. that the near-death experience gave me back my life. So at that, I'm curious, at that first sound journey, which I was so honored to to host at, uh, and, and meet you and your wonderful husband, um, what would you say was the thing? Was it actually something during the sound journey that you experienced or was it the talk? I don't remember if my talk was before or after that particular evening. But what would you say the first thing you can remember that really just grabbed you? Do you have a recollection of that? I do. I do. Um, what grabbed me is one of your instruments made me cry. Oh. Made me cry in a good way. Yes. So that's when I was like, oh, man, there's more to this than I realize. Yes, yes. Nothing can hide from from vibration. Do you uh, even hypothetically uh, remember what that instrument was. Um, I want to say it was one of the, um, the grounding bowls. Yes. Yeah, one of the crystal bowls, maybe. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. And do you have um, an experience that you can share? And I assume that it would happen after your accident, since that's when you met Alexander and were introduced to this philosophy. Can you share an experience with us in which uh utilizing the philosophy has helped you overcome something in the past, your behavior, a trauma, like your accident? So I think for me, um, I would say that the philosophy has really helped me reimagine or recreate my new normal post-accident. So when I talk about my new normal, I'm talking about post-accident. And then when I'm referring to anything before the accident, I usually just say pre-accident. Mm-hmm. But I, this year when I got home, I wanted to revive my past life, like my past habits, my past way of being. And it wasn't working because who I am now, post-accident, is different than who I was pre-accident. Right. And so just leaning into that and um, getting comfort, getting comfortable with the discomfort rather was a big challenge for me. 
because also, um, and this may just be a personality thing. I don't know if it's a card thing. Um, I'm kind of a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. So like my recovery and everything, the, um, I was very focused on getting all the objective goals. So if I had to get five out of five on my arm degrees measurements, I was determined. I needed it to be like a game because I know the goal of the game is to win. But the goal of life isn't to win. (laughs) Right. So. I know that all too well. (laughs) Anna, you mentioned that your accident gave you life. Could you maybe go into what the difference is and and why you say that? Like, how were you living before? I know you briefly talked about it, but maybe go into a little more detail um, expressing why you call what, how you are now more lively than, than before. Definitely. So another part of my story is that I am a first generation college student on both sides of my family. So I'm the first one in my dad's side and the first one in my mom's side to go to college. So everything, my narrative growing up was grow up, go to school, get a degree, get a job. And somehow that was the recipe to a happy life. Well, I did all those things. And guess what? It's a little more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. So um, I had gotten the undergraduate degree. I went straight to my master's, got that off the list. And I was basically equating my value as a person to my achievements as a person. Right. Every time I added a degree or a certification, I felt like my value was going up. Right. Very common. That's definitely not the case. And then again, I was doing a lot, but I wasn't living. I wasn't really doing anything. So it's, a, it's the difference, I would say, between talking and communicating. I was talking a lot, but I wasn't communicating. Yes, yes. Great analogy. Yeah, yeah like Alex, you're, like you said, she wasn't present. Like you weren't living in the now. You weren't appreciating what you had. You weren't giving gratitude for what you had. You were almost like the way you described it, you know, I can tap into an experience in my life where it's like you're, you're, I'll be happy when, I'll be happy when, and you keep achieving these things, but then you're not any more happy. And so you're like, well, then at some point you start asking, you know, what, how do I be happy? You know, what, what is is the meaning of this life? You know, yeah. What is it going to take? You know what? And then that's kind of what sent me on my little uh, adventure into trying to find somebody who had, you know, the answer to all that. And that's how I met Alexander. But um, yeah, so I can uh, appreciate that aspect. And I think, you know, when we, when we shifted from stopping the search for answers and appreciating the process and realized that it, it is just truly that there's, there's nothing to beat. There's nothing to win. There's nothing to fix, so to say, but there is processing. Uh, and through processing, we can, we can learn to uh, find contentment and find ways to uh, cherish and relish the things that we are getting to experience rather than focusing on all the things that we want to experience. And um, 
that that fulfillment, that seeking, that's an external seeking that just really never gets fulfilled. And and fortunately or unfortunately, I can't really say which one it is. Many times it takes uh, a major event in someone's life, uh, a trauma. And, you know, for me, it was uh, the death of a precious loved one and to to kind of uh, rattle that cage. And, and hopefully that was part of my intention of doing this podcast and getting all this information out was to try to get people to um, hear these stories such as your own and and try to give that incentive of, hey, don't wait till something, you know, major has to happen to start to make this shift. And that's why I appreciate all the people that, that do support the podcast and the philosophy and, and Aaron as well, everybody that, you know, uh, does see the value in this work. And uh, once again, I appreciate you sharing, you know, how it's influenced and assisted you. Because you've said to me in the past that, if you can get the lesson without having to go through that type of ace of spades tower moment where, where this, you know, the universe has to get your attention by, you know, creating something detrimental that, that is going to be uh, traumatic. If you can get the lesson before then, then you may not have to go through that type of event. Trauma. Yes. And I, and I'm not saying that, that you get the same type of message, but I'm suggesting that you may be able to get 95% of the message and 95% is enough. That other 5% is the suffering that comes with it. And, and this is the beauty of being able to observe your environment without judging it. As soon as we judge something external, we stop the ability to be able to learn from it. But when you can approach it, whether it's somebody else's, illness or an accident and you can just consider what that would truly be like to go through that and find the things to be grateful for right away that that wasn't taken away from you then I do happen to feel that that's like that 95 percent that you when you go to that gratitude that's what that's what that trauma that's what the the deaths the, the situations in life are giving us the opportunity to have is that wake up moment to just say hey grab what you got and squeeze it as tight as you can because everybody doesn't have this. Everybody doesn't recognize this. And so, um, so I think this is just a, a wonderful uh, job at, you know, at sharing how what most people would perceive as a negative event has really, you know, woke you up and, and taught you to live. And, and that's what, you know, I share with people is I've been through so much death in my life, especially for my age, everybody, the almost all significant people, I've experienced and but at the same time I say you know death is the one thing that has taught me how to live and now I can compare anything anytime I'm getting stressed out or a little anxiety in everyday life I can just take a time out and say well wait a minute now <laughs> how does this compare to this and and I don't know if you use that as a tool uh, or not and I don't want you to to comment on that but that's kind of how I've used some of my traumas is it helps me to put things in the present day in check and go, no, this isn't worth me getting this upset about. I can let this go because I've had to deal with uh, something much more intense. So what, how would you come in on that? So, yes, I, I can definitely say that um, in my recovery, I've found ways to redirect the energy that I've been feeling. So one of the methods that I've used 
because of course my accident was a very traumatic event. I have a bunch of negative memories to go along with it, sure. but those memories would be more useful to me if the energy was redirected. So one of the ways I redirected the energy of the trauma was through humor, believe it or not, yep. which um, some people, when I explain to them, they find it funny. Some people absolutely do not find my, <laughs> but either way, my husband gets the, the load of it. I'll say, cause I get my accident, you know, I got a traumatic brain injury, this, that, and the other broken bones. I will say to him, I hit my head hard. I didn't hit my head that hard (laughs) or something. And it's, it's a laugh. And then, but medical professionals do not find it funny. So don't use that kind of humor with medical professionals. um, So that's a way to just redirect the energy and deflect like a tense situation. Like if we're arguing about something and I'm like, I hit my head, I didn't hit my head that hard. Make light of a maybe tense situation. Another way that I've tried to um, redirect energy is to um, make meaning, make my own meaning of why this happened to me. Because there was a big time in the hospital and even at home where I was like, what did I do to deserve this happening to me? Did I do something wrong? Did I you know, this, that, and the other. I just wanted to know why, why did this happen to me? Or even at my darkest days, why didn't I just die? Mm-hmm. Like, I honestly wondered that, like, why, why am I still here? Sure. And, um, well, obviously it's cause I'm here to change the world. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no doubt. But, um, yeah. So that's, those are a, an example of how you can, or how I've been able to redirect my energy from a traumatic and impactful event and redirect it in another way to produce fruit, light. Yes, yes. and that is in alignment with the three R's of the philosophy to to recognize the situation, event, person, or energy, and to show it respect, and then to merely redirect it. Um, And that's similar to the way martial arts is taught in many areas uh, to not try to stop the energy or the blow, but just simply redirect it. And uh, the mind, uh, I call it mental martial arts. uh, And it is allowing the mind to do what it wants to do, but to let it know that you're still, you're still being directed. You don't get to run the show here. And um, and I think that's a great example and a great practice. So Anna has talked about, her process of mourning that she had to go through mourning her past self. And I think uh, a lot of us doing this work on this path can uh, also resonate with that because as we grow, we are also mourning parts of ourself, parts of our old self that we may not resonate with anymore as we grow out of certain behaviors or patterns, but also even like we may, grow away from certain people in our lives. And so Alexander, I wanted to get your opinion on, you know, just the process of like mourning our past and maybe, maybe what's the most productive way of doing that. Yeah. uh, The first thing that come to mind is I would like for people to consider, um, you know, the tides of the ocean and how, you know, it comes in and it goes out 
but there doesn't have to be friction about it. And, and when the tide goes out, it's not in fear that it's not going to come back in. And I think that that's important to see as you grow, there are energies or people that, uh, you know, will naturally drift away. Some will fight it and uh, give you judgment, which could be seen as just a test of your intention. And normally just the more calmly that you can communicate with them as best, you know, of typically how you really like the person that you are now and you see not that you didn't like the person you were before, but you just see the graduation and that doesn't necessarily have to reflect a judgment on them um, to try to, to show that uh, it doesn't have to be a separation, but if there is that that's accepted because it's the same as accepting that the, the water's leaving, you're standing on the seashore and the water's leaving, it's going out and you don't have to be in fear. It's going to come back and friends and people acquaintances in our lives are, are very similar. Uh, I happen to feel that we will be provided what we need. As it was said, you know, even in the Bible, the sparrows need not worry where their next meal comes from. So, so we will be taken care of, and and you know, uh, I love the the idea of love being not connected to um, people or things, but you just being willing to experience love, and then you allow people and things to come in and out of your life. And even when they go out, it doesn't have to be an ending. It it can be seen as just a tide or just a phase, and you can comfort these people to just say, you know, this doesn't have to be an ending. You don't have to look at it as better or worse or anything like that, but to just merely say, this is just, you know, uh, the tide that I'm in right now and the energies that I'm supported and interested in. And I'd love to share them with you if, I, if you're interested, you know, and if they show interest in that shows an interest in keeping a connection, if they don't show interest in that might show that it's just time to let that energy like the tide, just go back out, but it's not to say that it won't come back in sometime. And have you run into uh, a little bit of that here and there, Anna, with uh, friends from your past, or has the majority of people made the bridge, so to say, or how would you describe that? Well, it's it's interesting because I think most of the people that I've come into contact with, I mean, family, friends given that they know my story, they all want to be helpful, but they don't really know how to be helpful. Sure. So a lot of the times they go based on their memory, which was the pre-accident me, the pre-accident personality, which um, is very different than who I am now. And the best thing I've really told most of everyone is that instead of assuming anything about me or about what I'm working on or how I'm feeling, just simply ask me. Yes. Seems so simple. Yeah. Just ask me and then I'll let you know. But also it's like, if you're going to ask me, be ready to receive whatever I'm putting out there. Sure. Sure. And I think it's important to, to recognize as well that, it is important to let people know that you're okay to be asked that because many people are very, very private and, and people uh, are scared to ask uh, sometimes. So, so this gets back into the realm of conscious communication and realizing that we shouldn't assume that people just know things and say, no, please don't assume and, and please don't hesitate. I'm open to help, 
you know, educate you with what I'm going through and, and how, how to be useful and helpful. And for some people that, you know, may make them uncomfortable, but I think for most people, it's going to, uh, make them a little bit more relaxed. And because yeah. I do feel that most people do truly want to be helpful and useful. They just really don't know how much to, to pry, so to say. Yeah. And I think giving permission to ask is, is very important. Yeah. And it's, um, it's funny, but like, it's the little sayings that really do hold true. Like my husband is always saying, assuming makes an ass out of you and me. Right. Yeah. That is true. But, um, I think just telling people that they can be straightforward with me, um, it's, it's explaining the differences or exploring the differences between dialogue, discussion, and debate. Right. So, like, in a discussion, we just try to present ideas, seek answers and solutions, perhaps persuade others or enlist others. But in a dialogue, we're broadening our own perspective, looking for a shared meeting and finding place of agreement and then expressing those areas of ambiguity. Right. And then um, with debating, because of course we're in election season, <laughs> um, there's succeeding or winning or looking for weakness, stressing disagreement and defending your opinion. And I'm just, I really have to go back to the main part of saying, are you trying to discuss with me? Are you trying to have a dialogue with me? Or are you trying to debate me? Right. Because I just it. need to know what I'm looking at. Yes. Yes. How to participate. Yeah. Yes. And many times uh, the, the person is not even clear what they're coming for. Um, and so just bringing that to recognition can help the person yeah, get more clear and more centered in, in truly what they are looking for and, and help the, the, the dialogue hopefully, uh, get to that, get to that point. And the whole, the whole ask me thing does play a big role in relationships, especially because I've, I've seen it play out and even in my relationships where, uh, it's so easy for a person to get upset when the other person doesn't do something, but the uh, but that person may not know that you want it. So even just like telling them or asking them if they could do it for you, giving them the opportunity to do it or not do it yes. rather than just, you know, um, going into an emotional reaction when you don't get it. But that again, like the communication was never there and that person's not, I mean, as far as we know, psychic in this hypothetical situation. Right. So, so like, you know, just getting to the conscious communication and what you're, what we're talking about here, it's just, you know, be okay with communicating what you want and give that person the opportunity to, to turn it down if that's what they're going to do, but at least give them the opportunity to know that you want it done. Yes. And I think, uh, you know, a way to, to present that is just in, a loving conversation where you're having dialogue to just simply say, you know, I really love it or enjoy it when you do this for me. And I'll share one of mine uh, personally is that I just really appreciate it when someone makes food and brings it to me. That doesn't mean that I'm lazy and can't fix my own food, but you know, I connect that to, to my mother. She was that kind of nurturing mother and me and my dad never thought about food or, or, or 
any of that. We just knew that it was going to be on the table. It was going to be prepared for us. It was going to be set. And all we did was walk up and, and eat it and then get up and go about. And my mother would clean. And so everyone doesn't get to experience that in life. And that's just one of the most nurturing things to me uh, still to this day. So anytime somebody does that for me, it's just, it's, it's so touching to me. And, and so I'll tell you know, when I'm in a relationship with someone, I will I will tell them that, hey, if you really want to uh, to know one of my so-called love languages, it is that that art of you preparing a meal and bringing it to me and me getting to to just uh, enjoy it so much. And and I like knowing from the other person's point of view what they like. And and that's the thing is that we enjoy doing beautiful things for people we care about. And it helps to consolidate the energy if we do truly know what they truly enjoy that we can put our energy into doing. So, so I think this is, uh, you know, come about in a beautiful way. I'm not sure how we got to this point, but, but to share of how to, you know, consciously let your partner know what is useful and helpful and what you do enjoy, but not putting them in a pressure situation to do it. Yeah. Just exactly. mention it in conversation that, that I do really appreciate it and enjoy it when you do this. So I want to, you know, I want to thank you ahead of time. Uh, Anna, moving on, are there any current challenges that you are facing that maybe we can dissect and get out Al- get Alexander or the Just Philosophy's opinion on that? Yeah. Um, I think I'm trying to to be okay with not having a job, which I know it, it's crazy, but I, I really equate my self-value with what I can contribute financially, intellectually, fill in the blank. Right. And so the fact that I'm currently just a student and I'm unemployed is really, it makes me feel guilty in a way. Well, I think that that's honorable, first off, and shows that many times when it's when we're experiencing something in life that's hard to receive, that humility makes our partner or people around us that are supporting us, I really feel like it feeds them to want to do that and want to play that role because this is just a, a temporary, like a stepping stone, if you will. And this is the beauty of, of true conscious relationships is to see that we can do these things for each other and take these, these turns kind of passing the baton back and forth and not not from a let's make a deal standpoint but from a just just know truly this feels right and this is also where you know the cards can be useful to to see uh, your your yearly projection and and how that fits in because different years we are kind of designed or influenced to focus on different aspects of our life and so when a relationship or marriage um, or union of any type can be strong enough to say, hey, let's make an adjustment here and please don't you feel guilty for it because you're doing this for us in the future. And as long as the energy can be discussed and that humility seen and the appreciation given and the check-in with the person that is carrying the heavier load of, hey, you're sure everything is good because we can make another adjustment anytime, you know. I think that that communication about it is so important where 
many relationships will make a decision and maybe make an adjustment, but then they don't talk about it anymore. And it just can seem like it drags on and on and on to where wherever the person is, that's taking kind of less of the, the financial responsibility for them to keep the other person informed, I think is useful to say, Hey, this is where I'm at. And like, this is how much further I have to go in this next, you know, to get to this next point and checking back in, showing appreciation. I think all that goes a long way, but uh, it is important to see that we are here to play different roles for each other at different time frames, but nothing is meant to, uh, no role is meant to be played continuously forever. And I think that's the key is just seeing the, the temporariness of this situation and showing the the humility and the appreciation which you already have and you know continuing to just communicate you know your your time frame that you're looking at with you and your partner of course um but i think it's beautiful that you would even bring it out and mention it uh because you didn't have to so once again i think that shows you know your purity and you should feel you should feel good about that and and take this time to to receive and you are of course contributing uh, greatly. And, uh, I think that's, uh, just a sign of your beauty. Yes. Yeah. And I can definitely appreciate that situation because being a provider including for myself that I, I think I also attribute my worth at least to myself at how much work I'm doing, being a double diamond card, uh, how much money or whatever I'm bringing in, and if I was in that situation, I just, I don't know. I mean, I would feel very, very similar. I would feel guilty. I would feel awkward. And uh, I mean, I would be humbled to be in that position because like, I just can't, you know, if that was my situation, I couldn't pull my weight in, in, in from, a, from a monetary standpoint. And I value myself that way. Uh, so I guess I would, I would, eventually try to find other aspects or I would just, it would cause me to feel so much guilt that I would have to turn that energy into doing something else around the house for that person or whoever was supporting me at that time. Yeah, so something, in another area. something I'd like to bring in to consider here is that we may only be able to be received as deeply as we are able to receive. So I think it's beautiful that you are bringing that up. And I, I know you, you know, of course, personally and how much you are willing to play that provider role, but that doesn't always mean that it's received properly or that it's understood properly or appreciated properly. And so when we see that, you know, I would be challenged to be in that opposite role as maybe Anna's experiencing now, or you're just projecting the possibility to see that it's, it's your challenge to find your ease in it while staying humble and staying appreciative, but staying receptive. Because to know that, that when you want to give somebody something, that it's really up to them to receive it. And if they don't receive it, then you don't get the gift of giving. But if they do receive it and you really wanted to give that to them, how much that giving feels, how good that feels. And that's what, when somebody's playing a provider role, it can really feel good when it's being received in a humble and genuine way. And I think that when we get put in that role and, you know, I, I had to go through a period where it was one of my biggest fears to go through that kind of example. And I did after my trauma and, uh, 
you know, and I was in a situation to where my partner made more money than I did for four or five years while I was uh, healing. And I had to go through all of that, the stuff that we're discussing and work on receiving. And now I like to think that, that I am equal in the giving and the receiving. And I'm sure that people around me may have different opinions of that on both sides, but, but that's what I strive for is, is to, to when something is being offered now to make sure that I see that receiving is part of the beauty of uh, honoring the giver. And I think that, that this is a, you know, a great point to bring this to. Yeah. That's awesome that you went through that length to uh, describe that. Cause that is something that I think I try to do, but I don't always remember how important that is for the person giving. Would you say that if, you know, the situation that Anna's in, if she, allows herself to have that that guilt come in and overtake the humbleness that that guilt can stop the receiving or at least the the perceived energetic receiving from the person giving yes it certainly can i think the the biggest thing that someone can do um you know that's on the receiving end of that is just do their best at whatever they're being provided time to do and you know, um, whether that's going to school or seeking out a new skill or healing and getting rest, whatever it is that, that the guilt is going to take you away from making optimal your time that's being given, so to say. So the biggest honor to the provider is showing, hey, look at this A that I made. You know, thank you for providing this time. Hey, look at this. Uh, I got to this new level of healing and I feel like this is released and a big part of this is what you've been providing and providing me this time. So I think that that's, that's how to manage that guilt is by uh, ex- excelling at whatever you're being provided the time with to truly show uh, the ultimate honor, so to say. Yeah, because if you just allow the guilt to take over, and then maybe you get into like a, some slight depression, then you're not you're not honoring the whole time. Yes, <laughs> that, that they're happens. Providing. It happens very often yeah, because yeah. that's what guilt it will take over, and it will take your energy away from producing or being productive. And unfortunately, you know, I see that a lot around me. And right now, we're in times where people are have been given a lot of people have been given more time than they've had in a long time. And it is kind of that like, okay, what have you done with it now? I mean, we're about six months into all of this virus stuff and we're, you know, more than likely going to go through another wave of it here. And it is going to come down to that. Okay. What has everybody done, you know, with this time? And I certainly took my time to go through some healing and have continued to appreciate it and, and look at ways of how to expand Anna, do you have any more um, questions that you would like Alexander to expand on that, on this subject? I mean, I have many questions. <laughs> I'm always down with questions, but I think for now, it's, it seems like a good way to wrap it up. So I wanted to know, Anna, because you talked about how like, now I might be putting words in your mouth, but before the accident, you're kind of very focused on education and kind of filling that that mind and get, gaining knowledge. And I guess before I ask this question, I want to know like how receptive would you have been to this type of philosophy pre-accident? I, I don't think I would have been receptive to it. I would say you get what you work for. Right. Very means to an end type of person. Right. And your focus yeah, was just in other areas, right? 
Right. Yeah. Cause see, you can't, you can't go inward and be seeking outward simultaneously. That's uh, the energy's going in different directions. Yeah. And, and so, so yes, this work does take a certain amount of stillness. And so people that are accomplished oriented uh, would get very frustrated. I had a new client, a corporate type client um, a couple of days ago and she shared with me, she said, well, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that I don't have any patience and I said, well, then you're going to struggle with this work a lot <laughs> because this is part of it is learning to be still, even in the chaos, you know, that we can pull out of uh, traumatic types of situations when it does provide us time to, to slow down to a point to where we can reevaluate, uh, reassess and start moving forward in a more illuminated way, so to say. And I think that you've done that. Anna and your your story is incredible. Your your healing journey and where you're at is is amazing and so inspiring. And I think you did have something that you wanted to uh, share with the people. Um, something about your blog. Oh yes. Um. Well, if you want to keep up to date with all my recovery and just figuring out my new normal, I have a blog that I've been trying to do. I've been tossing and turning every night since I got home from the hospital because I want this very traumatic event in my life to be something positive that others can learn from. And not just saying that if you have a TBI, you should check out my blog. But even if you don't, if you just want to learn about my journey with the Just Philosophy or just my journey in general, just check out my blog and I will put out, it's a Google site. So um, it is, let me see. I'll give you the link and I'm sure you guys can post it. Yeah, I will post it in the episode notes in the description if anybody wants to know. So, uh, but in closing, I wanted to know what is your biggest like aha moment that has really changed your life? If you could point to one thing that the Just Philosophy offers coming from pre-accident, Anna, to, uh, I forgot what what you call it, but we'll call it uh, light in the dark, Anna. (laughs) Um. Hmm. Okay. I would say the biggest piece that it is that I'm coming to my mind right now is just to expect the unexpected and to lean into it. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Anna. It has been a pleasure having you on the Wise Wise podcast. We hope other people will reach out to us if you want to be on and share your story about how utilizing the Just Philosophy has helped you on your uh, personal journey. Reach out to me at Aaron at wise-wise.com. Alexander, any final words? Thank you so much, Anna. Uh, You are true inspiration, and I just give you big energetic hugs. Thank you. Bye. Bye. We appreciate your interest in self-growth, conscious communication, and continuing to ask the wise wise. And remember, gradual changes over long periods of time equals lasting results. The Just Philosophy, as discussed in this podcast, has been developed by Alexander over the last 22 years in his private practice, professional environment, 
and private studies. The information discussed is intended for educational purposes only. It is not meant as a replacement for conventional medicine. Just remember, knowledge plus experience equals wisdom. Seek the wise. As we continue sharing this information, there are also multiple ways to share and support this work. Gain access to our exclusive content, behind-the-scenes footage, and other products that assist you on your self-awareness journey by joining our patron team in exchange for a monetary donation by visiting wise-wise.com slash patron. That is wise-whys.com slash p-a-t-r-e-o-n. Another way of support is by sharing this podcast with receptive individuals or even leaving a review on popular platforms such as iTunes or Facebook helps us introduce this work to others through the listener's words. We are also on most major social networks, so follow us along there or even join our Facebook group community. Continue your journey by visiting Alexander's website where you are able to book private consultations in person, by phone, or even Skype. Know thyself better with human design and destiny car reports and readings as mentioned in this podcast. View a calendar of his live performances and class schedule. Peruse his other products such as shirts, CDs, and the revolutionary VibroTune sound vibrational therapy tables that assist with subtle energy alignments. So grab that keyboard and go to thejustphilosophy.com for those goodies. That's T-H-E-J-U-S-T P-H-I-L-O-S-O-P-H-Y.com. And if you love the touch of a soft shirt with a message that will warm your heart in resonation, then check out my company, Verity's Apparel, where I am a one-man band doing it all from design to physically printing the garment. It's sealing it all with a conscious touch. Just go to veritiesapparel.com, V-E-R-I-T-E-E-S-A-P-P-A-R-E-L.com. Thank you all for being a part of this journey with us.